Hi everyone, I'm Anya Parampil and this is Redlines. On September 17th, police in Denver, Colorado arrested four members of the Party for Socialism and Liberation over their involvement in local demonstrations demanding justice for Elijah McClain, a 23-year-old black man whom police essentially strangled to death in August of 2019. Russell Rooch, Lillian House, Joel Northam, and Eliza Lucero were rounded up in a coordinated crackdown targeting the protest movement, which has swept the nation since the police killing of George Floyd earlier this year. To discuss the details of the case, I'm joined now by Eugene Perrier, a presenter on Breakthrough News and organizer with the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Welcome to Red Lines, Eugene. Well, thank you, Anya. I appreciate it. Honored to be here as always. What is the latest information you have regarding these detained individuals? Have you been in contact with them? And just briefly remind listeners about the case of Elijah McClain. Why were these people in the streets protesting to begin with? Well, you know, uh, I, I personally have not been in contact with anyone. Everyone has received, um, you know, legal contact. Three of the people you mentioned, Eliza Lucero, Lillian House, and Joel Northam are actually still in jail. Russell is not. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that what we are seeing is a, you know, ridiculous but not that surprising process um, with those who have been arrested. I mean, you know, these big flashy arrests, you know, in, in some cases using SWAT teams and MRAP vehicles and things like that, uh, you know, using the different jurisdictional things to try to keep people in jail longer. The whole uh, real nature of the arrest is designed to criminalize those who uh, are, are being tagged here and criminalized this movement, this protest movement that was demanding justice for Elijah McClain, as you mentioned, and all victims of police terror. The DA in this case who has charged these activists with ridicu ridiculous charges, things like kidnapping just for having a protest, um, and we can come back to that, but the nature of it being this is the same DA who refused to charge the three cops who were involved in the murder of Elijah McClain. And so he is prosecuting his political opponents. I mean, what an unbelievable conflict of interest. People have been mobilizing, uh, as, as much, much of the Denver press has noted, the people arrested have been, you know, notable uh, leaders and participants in this protest movement of thousands of people in the Denver area uh, demanding justice in this outrageous police murder. And instead, the leaders in the movement itself are being criminalized. The use of, uh, you know, inciting a riot charges, impeding highways, kidnapping, all of that is designed along with these, you know, massive police presence arrests to try to criminalize this movement for justice, to try to discredit it, to try to break it up, to try to sap it of strength in order to protect the positioning of the district attorney's office and the police department in Aurora in the Denver area, which has been so uh, uh, broadly exposed on this case uh, as in many others. And what exactly happened to Elijah McClain in August of 2019? Well, you know, he was detained by three police officers. And, and of course, at the time they claimed that he tried to pull a, a gun on them. I mean, what happened is someone called the uh, uh, 911 and said that there was someone walking down the street in a, in a ski mask, but they said the person didn't have a weapon. They didn't think anyone 
was in danger. I don't know why exactly they called 911, but be that as it may, 911 came. They claimed he went for a gun, but ultimately these police officers held him down on the ground, handcuffed for 15 minutes. They put him in a chokehold, made a, a, you know, put him unconscious at one point, had, had severely obstructed his breathing. He ends up throwing up several times um, because of that, uh, you know, and actually then apologizing to them and basically pleading for his own life. You know, the EMT comes, they lie. They say he was, you know, hopped up on some drug coming with superhuman strength. So he gets this massive shot of ketamine from an EMT. You know, ultimately has a heart attack, he slips into a coma and he dies. Um, you know, completely brutal murder uh, of Elijah McClain. And I think that the fact that these individuals were not charged with murder, you know, in the wake of the brutal killing of George Floyd and Elijah McClain also said, I can't breathe. Um, you know, just the, the, the evocativeness of that reality, I, I think really is what we've seen. And when you look at these charges stemming from protest, these are mass protests of thousands of people of all different types. And it's an attempt to criminalize and suggest this is some sort of criminal enterprise rather than a, a political movement that's demanding justice. And the details of the arrest of these individuals are pretty terrifying. Lillian House, for example, was driving in her car and surrounded by five police officers suggesting they were tracking her. An MRAP was involved in the arrest of Joel Northam when a SWAT team actually showed up at his door and refused to present an arrest warrant. You said these arrests amount to payback for the fact these individu individuals led effective, peaceful demonstrations which embarrassed local police in Aurora. How is that claim reflected in their charges, specifically when it comes to the dates in question? When you look at what's happening here and you look at, for instance, the July 3rd protest, that is the uh, uh, impetus of this so-called kidnapping charge, where, you know, it's right around the time that a photo is released of three other police officers mocking the death of Elijah McClain, laughing and joking about it. And, you know, thousands of people, of course, outraged. They come out to a police station. People say that they're not going to leave until there's justice. Um, you know, I would say in, in the traditions of civil disobedience that the country pretends to uh, to support and to celebrate. And that is being called kidnapping, going to, to demand justice and demand you won't leave uh, until then. And you can see uh, on, I believe it was June 27th, the protest that went viral around the world where the police cleared out a, a violin vigil, called it some sort of illegal gathering and brutally repressed it with riot police. And so, you know, what we see time and again is the Aurora police did, they murder Elijah McClain, the district attorney's office, and by the way, this DA Young is a Democrat. They refuse to bring charges. They protect these killer cops. Other cops in the department think it's funny. They're, they're laughing and joking. It's a part of their culture. It's obviously deeply ingrained in the broader Denver area where there are a number of police killings that have also gone, un gone unsolved or unprosecuted for so long. Uh, and, and it adds up in this moment of global or national uprising that has happened since the death of George Floyd. Uh, a, a major movement has emerged here uh, or, or in this area and around this. And I think that it's very clear that from the point of view of the authorities, uh, that this is a dangerous reality that has really, in, in a true sense, uh, exposed many of the crimes that I think that they had hoped to hide. And so, you know, it's difficult not to see it as some sort of retaliation against this movement to try to break it up and to try to destroy it. You mentioned District Attorney Dave Young in Aurora. He said, as you mentioned, that there was no evidence in the Elijah McClain case to support 
homicide charges or a homicide ruling, yet he is responsible for levying these charges, including kidnapping against protesters. Where exactly does the kidnapping charge come from? And what does all of this suggest about District Attorney Young? Yeah, well, I mean, as I mentioned previously, it comes from a protest outside of a police precinct um, in relationship to a photo that had come out uh, showing three police officers from the Aurora PD uh, mocking and laughing and joking the death of Elijah McClain. A number of people were outraged. They came out to protest. People were demanding justice. And, and you know, they're, uh, you know, people were saying, we're going to stay here. We're going to not leave until we demand justice. Uh, I think when you talk about you know, what we see every Martin Luther King Day and what we hear all Black History Month from all of these hypocritical officials about how they love the civil rights movement, very much in the vein of that kind of political action. But in this case, it's being called kidnapping, um, as if this was some sort of, uh, you know, as if they have a gun to their head or if if they'd had, you know, chained and locked the doors or something like that that just didn't even happen. Um, and it, it, it's so absurd, but it's obviously an attempt to scare people from coming out, to get people trapped in legal cases, just like we are right now talking about uh, with these individuals who are arrested to try to, you know, raise the, the legal precedence for how much they can suppress and repress movements. Right now in this country, I think it's very obvious that there is a bipartisan effort, quite frankly, um, coming from both parties to uh, restrict protest and so-called First Amendment activity only to the tamest, most controllable, least effective type of opposition that there can be. It's an attempt to criminalize the ability to stand up for their own human and, and political rights. Yeah, I saw footage while it was happening of, of Lillian leading some of that occupation of the police station and they actually forced a phone call with the Aurora police chief through that tactic. We just got word that Chief Wilson has requested a call with me. I don't know. Woo! Take the call, girl. Take the call. So we're about to give her a call. Put it on speaker. Put it on speaker. Speaker Yeah, this is Lillian with the Party for Socialism and Liberation. What's up? I think we know perfectly well that if the will is there, you will fire these two officers. That is completely unconvincing, and I want to be completely clear. We are not buying that shit. Our demand is not moving. It's not changing. Rodima and Woodyard tonight, fire them. And I, I didn't see any protest that effective anywhere else in the country. It was really a model, I feel like, that could have been replicated, and they were really leading by example there. I saw another video of Joel speaking outside of the precinct and mentioning that undercover police were spreading lies about them, claiming that the peaceful demonstrators were going to charge the, the, the precinct, and he said they were trying to actively criminalize their protest, which seems to make sense now that they've actually done just that and arrested the leaders of this movement. Tonight, we will once again express our constitutional right to peacefully freedom of speech and assemble and all that stuff. Because we will not be intimidated by your unconstitutional and tyrannical use of force. 
You claim that undercover police overheard protesters planning to storm the police precinct. A very convenient lie that you have no way of proving and thus can be used to declare any protest unlawful. Well, let us make it clear to you and your lying pigs this time, we have no intentions to storm the precinct this time. We will make sure that every single person here tonight does not move from their spots surrounding the precinct until you publicly agree to fire Randy Rodima and Nathan Woodyard. What does this experience tell us about the role local Democratic officials play in enabling this kind of aggressive police crackdown we've witnessed under the Trump administration? Well, you know, I'll just say first and foremost, you know, hats off to the people of, of, of Denver in terms of, you know, things being a model action out there. I think the Denver area has been one of the most organized and the most consistent places in this entire uprising of bringing out large amounts of people and, and really uh, building a powerful grassroots movement. So, again, uh, I think that's why people are being targeted. But, yeah, I mean, I think you see the D.A. Young is a Democrat. You saw Muriel Bowser, the mayor of D.C., who was talking about Black Lives Matter on the DNC, saying the Trump administration was it tough enough on protesters. Um, obviously, Ted Wheeler, uh, uh, Jenny Durkin, the mayors of, of Portland and Seattle, respectively, all saying they care quite a bit about Black Lives Matter, but obviously their police have been, you know, very much in the forefront of national and international scandal during this uprising because of the brutality they've used against large uh, demonstrations of various different types. And the same goes on and on. I mean, I think when you look at the reality of what's happening, uh, you know, Trump, of course, is is running in the ultimate law and order sense. And of course he is the, the police, I mean, he has all the endorsements of the police unions uh, and many of these paramilitary militia types. So he's very much running in that vein. There've been 300 federal arrests, but what Trump has done by staking out this lane of extreme law and order is, you know, it's really created almost like an arms race of sorts of the Democrats who of course want to walk the line and say, well, we care about Black Lives Matter, but at the end of the day, wanting to distance themselves from the movement that's in the streets by saying that they agree with the crackdown on political ideologies. I mean, that's why Biden would say something like anarchists deserve to be in jail. That's why he would be running ads in the Midwest that caricature the uprising as some sort of uh, you know, violent criminal vandalism and don't put anything in the context uh, of the oppression of, of black people here in the United States today. And I think that at the end of the day, what we are seeing is on the local level, on the state level, and on the federal level, an attempt to make, to, to really crack down, to, to, to put a lid on the fact that there is a grassroots resistance of millions of people that kind of, however people are orienting towards the elections in the fall, people are, are wanting to stay in the streets, wanting to stay engaged, get more organized, and fight back. I think that's scary to people like the DAs and the police and those who back them all around the country who feel that, you know, perhaps their crimes being exposed means that their days could be numbered in these political offices and being able to have institutions um, with the type of power that they have. And so, uh, you know, really, I think Democrats, I, I mean, to say that, uh, you know, the relationship between the Republicans and the Democrats on this, um, you know, is one of degree, I think, as much as it is one of, of philosophy when we look at arrests like what's happening in Denver, what's happening in some of the cities that I've mentioned before. Um, you know, Oregon with a Democratic governor, a celebrated Democratic governor, you know, allowing the federal deputizing of the state police to allow state federal charges, Bill Barr's charges to be more specifically brought against protesters in Portland. So, I mean, you can see that it's deeply intertwined for the broader system of stability. Uh, that's the role of the police, the broader system of capitalist stability in this country, maintaining that and wanting to prevent disruptive movements that are demanding transformative change from succeeding. 
throughout the Trump administration, we've heard so many Democrats and people who consider themselves part of the liberal resistance talk about opposing fascism and standing up to Trump. But these people, these individuals who are in custody right now are the ones who are doing the work in these communities and actually putting their bodies on the line. Which brings me to my next question. What is the Party for Socialism and Liberation and why does it pose a unique threat to both the Republican and Democratic establishments? Well, the Party for Socialism and Liberation is a, a group of people uh, who have come together around the belief Principally, I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying it here. Go to liberationnews.org if you want to learn more. But that, you know, the you know the the root of our problems is capitalism. The fact that everything is produced for profit. The fact there's more empty homes than there are homeless people. All those kind of contradictions that we see about the great wealth combined with the great misery of the society that we live in. That that kind of profit-centered society is wrong, and that we need a people-centered society that you know really puts. The, the resources of society at disposal of people's needs and people's wants as a whole, the majority of people, working class, oppressed and exploited and poor people. Uh, you know, I, I think that that is, is we, we come together to, you know, use those unique experiences to try to craft a strategy and build an organization um, that in alliance with others, hopefully moving forward and growing through the growth of a broader movement uh, can, can bring that type of transformative change um, from a profit-centered to a people-centered society. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it's it's a unique threat in the sense that all, I think, radical groups like that, that say, let's go to the root of the problem. Let's look at the social system itself. You know, let's look at the real reasons why we have crime in the sense that we know it and why the police are, necess are necessary or why we think that in the context of the society we live in. I think we have to go to those deeper questions and any of the political movements and ideologies that are doing that, I think are starting to gain resonance in the population. People know we need serious change and that it's just, you know, it's not just about sensitivity training or, or de-escalation training or cops living in people's neighborhoods or whatever, that it's deeper than that and it needs to be, you know, considered more deeply than that. And I think that is, uh, you know, it is a unique threat to the mainstream parties because they have no solutions to these massive challenges that are facing humanity. Uh, you know, they, they genuflect towards them, they speak to them, um, but they don't really offer solutions that meet the scale of the problem. And I think in, in that sense, you know, we need leadership uh, uh, for humanity that's going to, you know, stop trying to drive things off a cliff the way it looks like it's going now. Yeah, I know from my own experience working with PSL that party members are very disciplined and make a point not to engage in or encourage illegal activity in general. Would you say that's an important part of the party's structure? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, from the point of view of what we uh, espouse is that, you know, the, 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 the tactics that correspond to particular moments, um, you know, have to be determined there. But I do think that acting in a unified way, in a solidified way, in a centralized way, so where, um, you know, what we do do, we do um, with intent and with purpose and in a way that we feel can be defended and, you know, certainly understood and supported. And so, you know, yeah, we try to, I think, especially build broad platforms in cases like this to, uh, you know, demand justice for to, to bring out all the people, not just the people who are socialist, um, who want to protest and want to, to do these different things. But, you know, that being said, I think, you know, obviously a, a, a major 
element of, of division in the populace is this whole good protester, bad protester narrative. And I think mm -hmm. not that that's what you were suggesting, but I do think that that's, you know, an important element of understanding what's going on in this uprising now is the, the attempt to criminalize protests in the way they're doing in Denver um, is, is, is so outrageous because it is, you know, well within the bounds of, I think, the traditions of protest that this country allegedly celebrates. But there's also sort of a greater truth there that, uh, you know, I think there are, uh, you know, other elements and other elements of justification for 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 the you know the scale of what we've seen um, across the country in many different ways and many different forms of expression uh, and the attempt to criminalize the the you know one element of it and what edge of it is just part of a broader attempt to discredit everything and to take the entire uprising and movement out of the context of of what's really relevant, which is that thousands of people are being killed by the police in the context of maintaining the worst sort of social and economic conditions on oppressed and exploited communities in this country. Uh, and that that needs to stop and it needs to stop right away. What are the next steps PSL is taking in order to defend party members arrested in Denver and how can viewers help support their fight for justice? Yeah, well, I'll just say right off the top, go to pslweb.org slash donate for Denver. That's the number four, pslweb.org slash donate for Denver, and you can support uh, the, the the fight back that's going to need to happen. Uh, you know, thankfully, we also have the assistance of the Colorado Freedom Fund in terms of bail, but there are going to be so many charges in terms of getting people out after they get out, waging this fight. I mean, people are facing serious, serious charges, multiple different, you know, heavy felonies, many years in jail. So it's going to be a fight. PSLweb.org slash donate for the number for Denver. Donate for Denver. Uh, and, and I think the next steps we're taking are, 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 are a few fold. Obviously, we're trying to build as much solidarity as we possibly can. Um, you know, we're also asking people and and you know you can see uh the links to this if you check out all of our social media um if you go to to pslweb.org and find out uh, a solidarity statement for organizations to show that there are and individuals to show that there are huge numbers of people in this country and around the world who are willing to show solidarity secondly you know we're not taking our foot off the gas in demanding justice for Elijah McClain. They want to crush this movement. We don't think that that's going to happen. This past Saturday, over about a thousand people marched. They went to the jail as well to show solidarity with those uh, who have been arrested and also to demand justice for all victims of police terror. And I think that we will continue to be pushing that forward in the Denver area and continue to fight for this movement. And I think all around the country, that's the thing we have to remember. I mean, you know, there's been 300 people arrested with federal charges, thousands and thousands and thousands of people arrested at the local level um, by different police. There are heavy charges everywhere. This is a serious system of, of, rep of, of repression that's coming down on the movement, but that's because they want to shut it down. So staying in the streets in general is one of our important tasks and one of the things we're going to continue to push and continue to do. But pslweb.org slash donate for Denver. Uh, please, please, please support if you can. And where can people follow you, Eugene, and see your work with Breakthrough News? They can follow me personally at, at Eugene per year on Twitter, and they can see us at BT Newsroom, at BT Newsroom on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we're also on YouTube, Breakthrough News on YouTube. I encourage everyone to check it out. It's an important resource for people who want to stay up to date on the movement and news from around the world. So Eugene Perrier, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much, Anya.